Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. What's happening, Squeeze? Uh, not much, Ryan. It's a beautiful, foggy morning. <laughs> Here on the East Coast. How about it? But um, it cooled off a little bit, finally. Oh, thank God. And um, with the cooling off, I don't know if you see what's on my fridge up there. A box of a touchdown crunch, fresh from the shelves. You know what that means? We are one step closer to Halloween crunch. Oh, yeah. That's what that means. So Touchdown Crunch has these crunch berries, which are supposed to be shaped like footballs. Are you supposed to believe that's what they're shaped like? They're mm-hmm. not. They're just kind of like kind of misshaped crunch berries. Are, are they more like uh, footballs than uh, like Chex Mix are nets that you could <laughs> capture the turtles with? Or I totally bought that. I totally bought that. Do you know at the time uh, Ralston owned Chex? Checks were bought by General Mills, I think, who owns them now, from Ralston, who made all those tie-in cereals. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they would try to. They used, them, they used chocolate versions in the Batman Returns cereal. Mm-hmm. I mean, any opportunity they had to use checks. Like, oh, they just, just checks and marshmallows. Yeah, it's, uh, they, they, then they'd redo it. They kind of had like a Crispex-shaped uh, mm-hmm. checks for their Spider-Man. Could you just put milk in Chex Mix and make a Chex cereal? <laughs> I'm up for the challenge. Because all it, it's the just bold flavor, oh. spicy oh, Worcestershire sauce flavor. Oh. Yeah, with some milk. Mm. I don't feel so good right now. It goes well with uh, heavy milk. So anyway, yeah, that's uh, Touchdown Crunch, right there. We're getting closer to the Halloween season. We're getting closer to a lot of things. Yeah, we are. Yeah, YouTube's coming. It's getting there. You're going to see us eventually, whether you like it or not. The set has been delivered, part of it. That was the most, second most stressful drive in my life. And the first being? Uh, Having my newborn daughter in the back seat of the car, in the car seat coming Mm -hmm. home. This is having that thing in the bed of my truck, my second baby. That's. uh, What about the Z Man set desk? That was in a van. That I handed over to a oh, right. cigarette smoking man <laughs> who then, that was actually just as stressful. Uh, <clears throat> two weeks working on the set. I asked for a van to be, to come down and pick it up so it's nice and secure inside. And he opens up the door and there's three pieces of loose steel scaffolding just rattling around in the back. I'm like, fucking kidding me. It'll be fine. Yeah. Might as well just tie a rope around it and drag it behind the car. <laughs> but it made it. It did. So uh, before we get into it, what do we got for uh, news? Uh, we got some news today. Um, Andrea Romano. Mm-hmm. Does that name strike a chord with you at all? Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course you would. You're deep into this shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guarantee you, though, if you're listening to this, even though you might not know the name by heart, you have seen this name. You recognize his name in credit rolls. I arranged another early parole as soon as I heard about Gordon's testimonial. <laughs> it is to laugh, huh, Mr. J? I ask you, Harley, 
Who's given more hours of amusement to the Gotham Police Force than me? No one, Mr. J. I deserve, nay, demand the right to honor our dear Commissioner as well. Romano was a voice director and she is responsible for, well, uh, 1,600 TV episodes that she's directed, 50 movies, 20 video games, and of those 50 movies, 23 DC animated universe films as well, which I believe including the most recent ones as well, and also the Batman uh, Forever, or not Batman Forever, uh, Batman Beyond movie mm-hmm. that came out. Um, the Return of the Joker. Return of the Joker. She's responsible for bringing in Mark Hamill. Well, she brought in Mark Hamill to read. At, he played just some um, executive villain in Heart of Ice. Yes. And then originally a name that can't be mentioned in the Squeezer household was cast as Joker. Mm-hmm. And um, it didn't work well because he was also cast as a pirate in Peter Pan and the Pirates, and it sounded too... So it was Pirates of Dark Water. It might have been. I think it was Pirates of Dark Water. Uh, so he sounded too much like that character. Mm-hmm. So they had Mark Hamill read for the Joker, and it worked. And history has been yeah. made. Well, she got her start working for uh, Hanna-Barbera back in the 80s. Then uh, there was this uh, new show that came out at the time, an animated series um, called DuckTales. Ooh. And they were going to do a trial run. So they did five, basically five pilot episodes <laughs> using five different voice directors and she directed the second one and after the second one that she directed that was it and she got the gig and after that she had done i think 65 more episodes of uh, ducktales she also did a uh, chippendale uh, rescue rangers 98 episodes of tiny toon adventures 89 episodes of batman the animated series uh including uh what were some of the what do we got here? I thought I wrote these down. Maybe I didn't. But including that episode in particular, uh, it was the first appearance of uh, Harley Quinn. Oh, that was uh, Joker's Favor mm. uh, with the uh, accountant. <coughs> yeah, they, uh, the bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, but she'd also done, uh, directed uh, On Leather Wings. Mm, that was the first, first episode. And... Uh, uh, there's uh, a particular episode with some quality dialogue we've played once before, and that was Heart of Ice. She's responsible for. Uh, Pinky in the Brain, Animaniacs. As far as video games, she did StarCraft, Diablo. And her most recent projects uh, were uh, the current uh, Nickelodeon uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, the new Voltron as well. But uh, yeah, she was going to retire over the next six years, but she has some optic neuropathy. It's a big word for the morning. And uh, so she's retiring a bit early. So uh, she is really responsible. She's had a hand in pretty much anything that we watched as kids. And yeah. it's one of those background uh She did Brave and the Bold, too. Batman mm-hmm. Brave and the Bold, mm-hmm. which I thought was a very underrated, fantastic Batman series. Oh, and uh, also, uh, not the initial, the original film, but uh, Land Before Time, two through five. Oh. Also responsible for. How about that? 
Oh, here's to her. So, what a thank, lustrous Andrea, career. Andrea, thank you for everything that you have As done. Kevin would say a big bucket of win. Huge, huge bucket of win. So, uh, speaking of, <laughs> we're talking summer movies. And what were our criteria? Uh, I just went by what, uh, what technically would be a summer release. I think it's May 18th to August something. Yes. And I was just looking big, blockbuster, boombastic kind of. I went movies. not is exactly blockbuster, big, boombastic, even though most of mine are. Mm-hmm. I went more of the criteria that I saw it in a theater sure. in a, its summer release. And I kind of, back in the day, a summer movie kind of, in, in, my, in my mind, lasted the whole summer. Mm-hmm. Like that movie would come out in maybe May or. It, and it controlled the pop culture. And, well, there uh, was no internet, and there was no sure. like the cycle didn't go as fast as it does now. Mm-hmm. So that movie lasted in the theater for a while. It was in the drive-ins for a while. It had it, food tie-ins. It always had. There was food tie-ins. There was, there was the cheap movie theater then. So you know, you go in, see you the nine nine cents. September. You go see it like near the end of yeah, right before you, right before we, you go back we, to school. We have the Roxy around here. It's ninety nine cents. Well, I we it's I, an old school. I would go to the Plaza and the old Whitehall okay. Mall, which was ninety nine cents. And um, uh, that had second runs. And now it's all a bunch of beautiful people working and, out. In there. And they'd run commercials, TV spots, see mm-hmm. it again. Um, mm-hmm. And it, they'd, it'd get, they'd get a whole summer. You get a whole summer of advertising out of it. Can I, I want to put an asterisk on this title. Yeah. This is Summer Movies, not named Jurassic Park. Right. There, obviously, there were some big ones we chose not to do. But specifically, I felt like I have to address this, not even for the viewers, but for myself, when I go back and re-listen and <coughs> criticize myself to also, no end. Also, summer movies that aren't 89 Batman or 92 Batman Returns. Sure. Like, there's, a, there's a, obviously some huge movies, but we, we, I specifically, and I think you did too, went into ones that there's there's a blockbuster or two, but there's also a flop or two mm-hmm. in my... Oh, way. I purposely... I'm like, I was looking for one in particular. One of the... I, you're not going to hear Mortal Kombat on this list. I was going to put it. Yeah. I was, and then I'm like, I, I found another gem that I didn't wanted to Mortal make Kombat sure. Did Mortal Kombat do well, though? Not... <laughs> it didn't do... I don't think it was a, a flop. It's just... It's a uh, video game movie, and critically, it's panned. And in hindsight, when watching it, you're like... I have one on my list that was kind of critically panned, and everyone might think was a flop, but it actually turned out to be a blockbuster. Uh, my, well, I have one on here that, thanks to recent events, isn't considered one of the worst movies on Rotten Tomatoes anymore. <laughs> uh, the Emoji Movie. Really setting the bar low for, <laughs> for history. For society. For society. So I'm going to start off, all right? How about that? From the deepest sea to the darkest jungle to the desert sand. I will make her one of my wives. Dream on, Tiny Tim. To the frozen plains of Antarctica, the chipmunks and the chipettes are heading for adventure. The Chipmunk Adventure starts Friday at a theater near you. Do you remember the Chipmunk Adventure? Here's the thing. It kind of passed from my memory banks until last night when you, you gave me your list and it brought tears to my eyes <laughs> there's something special about this movie to me that i can't quite put my finger on it's something more tangible than other movies but this there was a labor of love 
Yeah. It was uh, Ross Bagdazarian Jr. His dad created the fucking chipmunks. His dad wrote Witch Doctor. So him and uh, Janice Carmen wrote this movie. Janice directed it, and Janice did the voice of Theodore and the Chipettes. Ross did Alvin and Simon. So the two of them were a huge creative force behind this entire movie. Uh, Ross also did David, um, who, you know, obviously isn't a big part of this because he goes to Europe, leaves the chipmunks with a babysitter. Meanwhile, the chipettes and the chipmunks are at the mall playing Around the World in 80 Days video game, and two creepy brother and sisters who, now that I'm getting into Game of Thrones because of Enchantress, remind me of the Lannisters. <laughs> In their relationship. Okay. We're talking first episode. <coughs> the last episode. Oh, the last one, too. Yeah. That's true. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so uh, they, they, they decide, their brother and sister, and they have this dog who, like, scoots on the skateboard. Remember that scene? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're like, oh, they're playing this video game. They're well-suited to travel around the world in balloons and drop off little dolls <laughs> filled with money for dolls filled with diamonds. This is make perfect sense. They're child chipmunks. Yeah, uh, anthropomorphized fight. Right. This is Amanda's favorite part of the show. Is why you try to pronounce that. Jim <laughs> Oaks. So <clears throat> they originally wanted far more locations, but they ran out of time and money, like a lot of projects do. So they had to settle on what they have. The movie was supposed to come out in December of that year. Didn't. Thankfully, it wouldn't have made our list if it did. And it came out just in time to be seen at the drive-in theater, which is where my parents took us to see it. And then, of course, we had it on video cassette afterwards, where we watch and watch and watch. And there's some great scenes where um, the Chipettes land in Egypt, and this Arabian prince wants Brittany to be his bride. It's really creepy, and they somewhat sexualize the Chipettes. Well, don't say you didn't have a thing for at least oh. one of them. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> and um, he gives her a uh, little penguin as a gift. And then when they're escaping... Oh, you had a little penguin, too. <laughs> I did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I did. <laughs> um, so the, <laughs> he's, right, he's right there. Mine's kind of a creepy plastic Danny DeVito version of Penguin. But well, you also admitted that you had a sexual response to an animated female chipmunk. <laughs> I mean, who didn't? I'm not saying I didn't. Right. So uh, they uh, escape, and Eleanor has a little cooler that she's tucking around. And in the cooler, of course, is the penguin. Oh, yes. They want to return her to Antarctica to her parents. So the chip ads agree to go to Antarctica. The creepy Lannister brother and sister think they're trying, they've discovered the diamonds and they're trying to escape with them. So they have, they send their henchmen goons after them. Meanwhile, uh, <clears throat> the chipmunks land, I don't even remember where, and uh, they think this uh, native village they, that they take a shortcut through and they take Theodore as their god, and uh, Alvin and Simon wake up in loincloths, and they're worshiping Theodore, and they're forced to be slaves, and Theodore sends them to go look for mushrooms, and they're in this this cave, and they realize from the hieroglyphics that they're going to sacrifice Theodore, and they get out by singing Wooly Bully, 
henchmen are after the chipmunks, chipettes, I'm sorry, in Antarctica, and they uh, doll tears. And they realize that the doll's full of diamonds. Diamonds. And the other dolls are full of cash. So they have to drop off a chipmunk doll with cash, or a chipette doll with cash, and get a chipmunk doll with diamonds, opposite for the chipmunks. And, uh, you know, they get out of it and they get back, and uh, Dave, Dave's none the wiser. Um, so the diamond smugglers, they're, they're being chased by Interpol the whole time because the butler of the two Lannister type brother and sister dimes them out to Interpol, and Interpol follows them. And they're arrested, and Brittany and Alvin argue over who really won the race, but Dave breaks up the argument and gets him in uh, the babysitter's car, and Dave tells Alvin that he and the chipmunks and the chipettes have a lot of explaining to do. And when Alvin actually tells the story, it elicits a classic Alvin response from Dave. So, yeah, that was the, the movie. Can we do it? Is that what you're staring at me for? I was waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I could. It's like Alvin. That's pretty good. Mm. Maybe it was might be a little more growly, but it's early. I'll yeah. give you it that. It was all based on that Christmas song they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's my first pick, and that was it. It was a gem. Yeah. No. no or a jewel. Intended. Or a jewel. Uh. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so what happened at the time? It was a car- uh, Chipmunks was a cartoon on NBC in the morning. You know when more Saturday morning cartoons mm-hmm. were a thing. <clears throat> and um, Disney put out the Black Cauldron, which tanked in '85. So they laid off every like almost every animator, like big time animators. So uh, Bagdasrian hired them all to work on this film, which gave it the high caliber animation it had. Uh, and his wife was Janice Carmen, who did the chip ads and directed it. Um, they financed the project themselves. Holy shit. But they had revenue from the oh, TV Oh, okay, series. Dad's... Uh... No, uh, they created the TV series for NBC. Oh, okay. With Dad's... I mean, they, they took <coughs> Dad's... Uh, vision. Vision and made chipmunks mm-hmm. from who were popular in the 60s and made them huge in the 80s. Uh, but then, of course, they worked with overseas studios, which led to production delays. And they fell behind schedule, and scenes of Russia and whatnot had to be cut from the film. But I, I still think, don't cry over spilt milk, it was uh, a good movie. Yeah, it, it's, it's uh, one that's close to the heart right there. That's up, there's a couple animated movies that mean just something a little bit more, and that's up there with them. That's up there with DuckTales, the movie, and uh, Fl- Jetsons Meet the Flintstones. That's the triumvirate. Jet- See, I was going to pick Jetsons Meet the Flintstones, but that was direct-to-video. See, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, nope. Elroy breaks- builds it- the time machine. I also <clears throat> had on my short list from 1990 <clears throat> the Jetsons movie. Mm-hmm. I was Mel I Blanc's my eye final on that. project as Mr. Spacely. Mm-hmm. But, so. Yeah, I was I was thinking Ducktales, but there's going to be an entire Ducktales episode down the road in my that on my list. Tanked, you know that. Hmm. The, the Legends of Lost Lamp. Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with people? I don't know. It's fantastic. But it told it, it forced them to break up a whole uh, animation studio because <clears throat> it tanked. But all right, let's go on to your first pick. To some, it was the fulfillment of a dream. To others, it was an instrument of destruction. 
a creation that could change the course of history. It was stolen from my factory. Where's the package? This is the FBI! What do we tell the president? Tell me exactly why this merchandise is so important to the feds. It's a rocket. A rocket? Ow! What? What's the matter? I don't know. There's something under the seat. Oh, my. What do we got here? What do you suppose it is? A bomb or something? Man, those trailers back in the 80s and 90s really told the story. So, I was debating of uh, doing what you were doing. Pulling TV pulling spots. Pulling TV spots. <clears throat> but then I thought, nah, if I'm going to watch these trailers, you're going to suffer too. Yeah, it's just the, the difference between you and me. You like, you like when they suffer. <laughs> yes. Well, it's good to have a little bit of pain in your life. It makes you appreciate the high spots even more. Okay. So... Rocketeer was a big one for us, too. Rocketeer was fucking fantastic. Right. And again, another movie that... Uses Nazis. Well, yeah, I was going to say tanked. Oh, but, yeah, the tank, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it, didn't ta- it made its money back, which, to be fair, for a movie, if you can do that, you know, that's a plus. Um, but it was a budget? Well, it made... It was on a 40, $40 million budget. It was initially like a $25 million budget. And because of uh, uh, weather delays and mechanical issues, because there's a lot of technical stuff going on, uh, they uh, pushed back how many extra days of filming? Uh, 50 days over shooting schedule. Yeah. Um, and now they build that into a, yeah. for a movie like yeah. this. They have that built in. Oh, a comic book? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too. It's a comic book movie, when you think about it. Yeah. Because this was, uh, it was originally written uh, back in uh, 1982 by Dave Stevens, right. who created this character, who he created with pretty much the intent of, in his mind, as he's writing it and drawing it, was thinking, this would be a great movie. And I don't disagree. I think it was. Directed by Joe Johnson, um, before he'd do Captain America, the mm-hmm. first adventure. And that shitty uh, Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> oh, be nice. Jurassic Park 3 is garbage. All right. Come on. Yeah. It was still a Jurassic Park movie. but it, And so you watch it. But when, How do when you the not raptor says, it? Alan. <laughs> yeah, well, see, well, see, I kind of like blocked that out. I kind of like to me, like that's like my head cannon. I just kind of wipe it. Kind of just like Alien 3 doesn't exist. Mm. Um yeah, I, a lot of that just doesn't happen. Like, the, all the cool stuff exists. Um, at no point do I ever hear a cell phone through a Spinosaurus' stomach. Um, I like, you can hear a phone ring, oh, yeah. but you don't hear it approaching. Right. Despite the fact that the first movie established the impact tremor. Right. But I guess this thing Although, had, in the first movie, there was an impact tremor, but occasionally the T-Rex would just appear out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, that's also true. And also, the timing between the impact tremors, the T-Rex was just kind of stomp. Stomp. Right. All right, but we're not going to... We, we, we said we we're not talking Jurassic Park. Well, I have no... We're talking here. Howard Hughes and the... Howard Hughes created a jetpack. Yeah. That was stolen by mobsters. Stolen by Nazis, I thought. Uh, well, no, mobsters. No, mobsters. Okay. Um, and then they get into a shootout, and hide this jetpack in underneath the seat of uh, a truck. And then, so, uh, uh, Cliff, uh, what's it, Billy Campbell, 
uh, finds it. Now he's a pilot. He's a stunt pilot back in uh, like 1938. 1938. Yep. Um, and they're like, what the hell is this thing? And they mess around with it a bit until they realize it is a jetpack after like blowing up a, a mannequin from out in front of the store. Uh, but there's a, a bullet hole in it from the shootout. So what do you do? You put gum over the bullet hole and that seems to work. Um, it's just leaking gas, right? Yeah, it's fuel. leaking gas. Yeah, fuel. Um, so, you know, they mess with this. And then PV, his buddy, uh, designs the helmet the iconic Art Deco Rocketeer helmet, which um, Michael Eisner wanted a space helmet, like a NASA astronaut helmet. And they, he threatened to quit. Uh, Michael Eisner also almost ruined the Disney Pixar deal until Steve Jobs had him removed. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, there were a couple of things here where Disney wanted... Uh, their mitts and things. They didn't have a, a system in place yet. They weren't, they, this was their Nero years before they became Hadrian. Mm. So, uh, yeah, he wanted a space helmet, um, which it would just, that's not the Rocketeer. How did he lose his battle? Uh, they said, all right, I'm not directing this film. Joe Johnson. Yeah, he said, I'm off the project then. Mm. Um, and at that point, they were already pretty much, uh, deep they they agreed to look at other designs so disney brought in some artists and like all right we're gonna do we'll show you all these designs uh johnson brought in another a sculptor to design the helmet around the stuntman's head right and they're like well how about this design and disney's like okay yeah we like that design better it was pretty much the exact same thing they just tweaked a thing or two Mm. and just tricked disney into thinking it was their idea oh who's done that before i have no idea I should. Re- I'm really in. Uh, I guess I'm in the right business. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, uh, Disney bought this whole prod product uh, IP with their intention of selling toys and marketing. I think they did. Right? They did, but that's a big part of the big letdown as far as the mu- the income here because it didn't explode. It wasn't the next. Uh, well, at the time, I wouldn't say. Jurassic Park, but Ninja Turtle, Ghostbuster, it wasn't the giant toy line that you wanted. Plus, uh, it was hard to sell Nazi toys, too. Mm. You know? And you only had one hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far well, as... Batman, there was one hero. They just made a fucking 400 versions of him. Well, Take the Kenner mm-hmm. approach. Who made the, t- who made the Rocketeer toys? Uh, I couldn't even tell you. Uh... And as far as casting goes, they wanted, Disney, of course, wanted big names. They wanted Kevin Costner. They wanted Matthew Modine. Um, Bill Paxton was very close to getting it. But then Billy Campbell showed up, and he had read the comics. He had studied the character. He got the look down and everything. He walked in, and he looked like he just came right out of the comic book. And they're like, you got it. Um, And then uh, Eddie, the uh, mobster... Uh, who was played by Paul Servino, was originally written for Joe Pesci. And Joe Pesci turned it down. I can't see Pesci playing this character. Well, Joe Pesci did play that gangster in that shitty Michael Jackson movie. And like, the weird ponytail on the side. Uh-huh. It was never released, but you could find it on uh-huh. YouTube. It's fucking weird. He tries to shoot drugs into the kid's arm. Yeah. But, so, Paul Servino plays was- Eddie... Uh, so anyway, so they're, uh, he's the rocketeer now. So now the mobsters are after the jetpack, and this uh, James Bond now is also after the jetpack. 
And uh, as it turns out, uh, he kidnaps uh, Cliff's girlfriend, who is uh, working on set with James Bond. And uh, turns out... James Bond. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan? No, before Brosnan, it was... Uh, Roger Moore. No, after Roger Moore. Sean Connery. Nope, the other one. No idea. Where's my notes? Yeah, you're usually well-versed in this stuff. I am well-versed in this. But I knew it, so I didn't have to write it down. Well, you clearly don't. But it's early. You know him as James Bourne. Who was he? What character? Alan Arkin? Timothy Dalton? Yeah, Timothy Dalton. Yeah, Alan Arkin wasn't James Bond. Timothy Dalton. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't um, <know> James Bond. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, they fly up to their Zeppelin. As it turns out, Timothy Dalton, James Bond, is a Nazi. Um, of course he is. And then the uh, Paul Servino finds out that he's a Nazi, and he is not cool with that. No, because despite being criminals, um, they actually this kind of comes out of reality. The uh, FBI and the federal government used organized crime to guard the coast. They were guard the ports. Yeah, they were pretty much the front line for sniffing out Nazi sympathizers as well. They were not friends of. Uh, no fascism and a no lot of that goes a well a lot of that goes back to Mussolini oppressing oh, yeah. Sicily as well um so they have a big shootout and it allows uh, the rocketeer to get the pack fly up and uh it looks like Disney just didn't do a good job making a toy line for rocketeer no they kind of they kind of gave up on it they didn't really make one <laughs> um so they're up on the zeppelin well not yeah, it's a Zeppelin. It's an airship. It starts blowing up. Timothy Dalton steals the jetpack. He's about to fly away. And he, uh, while he's not looking, peels the gum off the back of the jetpack. I was going to say, the gum. Yeah. yeah. And he flies away. And all of a sudden, it gets out of control. And he goes flying down in the ball of flames and crashes into the Hollywood land sign, taking out the land part of... How many movies have reinvented the back, the backstory of it becoming the Hollywood sign? Where it's it starts off as a Hollywood land and then something happens in that movie, right? And, and that's the Hollywood, reason, yeah. Not the fact that the so that was kind of Chekhov's gum, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, the real story, I should make a movie should about I explain how explain that for the people, yes. In the film terminology, Chekhov's gun is a theory that if there's a gun there on the wall and they show the gun, it's only being shown because it's going to be used later in the movie. So that gum clearly was there to be used as a plot point. So the backpack is destroyed, or they get it back? It's destroyed. So there's no more Rocketeer. Uh, yeah. Oh. So killing all hopes of a sequel. Ah, they would have made another one. <laughs> but, well, Obj- there, uh, they were, there were chances of a sequel. Well, this was in reboot, re- turnaround forever. I don't know if yeah. they're still going to reboot it, or... Mm-hmm. Um, there was being talks of there was a talks about it. reboot. Um, but there was supposed to be, it was supposed to be three movies. Uh, Billy Campbell signed a contract to do three. Uh, Jennifer Connelly uh, was signed on to do two. But after this made just enough money to cover their expenses, they pulled the plug. Uh, yeah, the Rocketeers. Disney is rebooting it. Now, is it, is it going to be a, it was supposed to be a young African-American woman, I believe, that they were looking to do it. I heard rumors of. 
Uh, reboot sequel that takes place six years after the original with a black female pilot in a lead role. Film's plot sees the lead take on the mantle of the Rocketeer after Cliff Second has gone missing while fighting the Nazis. Mm-hmm. New Rocketeer goes on a mission to stop the corrupt scientists from stealing the jetpack technology, shifting the balance of the Cold War. Ah, they shifted from Nazis to Russians. A black female pilot in 1944. She could be a pilot, just had to stay away from all the white pilots. (laughs) And when did the Cold War start? Was that a little early for that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. By about, well... A few years. Technically, it would be... 48, 49. Well... When was the Bay of Pigs? 60. That was the height of it. One. First Titan. One. I just have a minor in history. All uh, right, well, that's a Rocketeer. Yeah, it was very, it was one of the, well, one of the, you could say uh, one of the earlier generations of a comic book movie. Uh, very, it was very loyal to the source material. In fact, uh, uh, Dave Stevens was pretty much attached to the hip at this thing. He was working hand-in-hand throughout the entire project. Disney did not like that either. They wanted him gone. But he stayed on board, and uh, I think we have one of the the great, even though it didn't make money, it meant a lot to us as kids, I think. And isn't that that what matters? That's all that matters. Isn't that what matters, Disney? Now, Squeezer, if I were to tell you I was making a mix of turpentine Benzene and acetone together. What would you think would be a good name for it? Maybe dip. From Touchstone Pictures, if evil has a name, it must be Doom. Hi, me, Eddie. <laughs> Judge Doom. His method is murder. His passion is power. I feel like an execution. And no man nor rabbit dares stand in his way. I'm looking for a murderer. Remember, you never saw me. Who framed Roger Rabbit? He's here. A Steven Spielberg presentation, a Robert Zemeckis film, rated PG. Starts Wednesday, June 22nd at a theater near you. Now, I'm kind of going in chronological order squeeze. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chipmunk Adventure was released in May 22nd, 1987. Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out June 22nd, 1988. And at the time, was in, it still is the most expensive movie ever produced in the 80s uh, as a budget of $70 million. And We all know the story of Roger Rabbit. I don't have to recount the story of Roger Rabbit. A uh, cartoon is framed for the death of Marvin Acme, who he suspected was having an affair with his wife, Jessica, who talk about cartoon boners as a kid. Good point. My God. Uh, hires the hires Detective Eddie Valiant to clear his name. I don't know. Do I think the Chipettes more resemble an actual female than uh, Jessica does? <laughs> oh yeah. So this movie was made by Disney, but there was the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes in it, and it was the first time that ever happened. But Warner Brothers said since it's a Disney movie, all their characters had to have equal time as a Disney character. That's why when you saw the whole Daffy and Donald Duck. Uh, piano sequence which is still one of my favorite sequences ever on a film like they're there the whole time mm-hmm. together uh, yeah. it's a great sequence uh, Bob Hoskins a movie he, we talked about another movie that he did that he hated this one I think he liked he said uh, two weeks after seeing the movie his young son wouldn't talk to him when he finally asked why he said he couldn't believe his father would work with so many cartoon characters 
and not bring him around to meet them. That's adorable. I know, isn't it? I felt it was a $70 million budget, most expensive, produced in the 1980s, and had the longest on-screen credits for a film. <laughs> the first test audience was comprised of 18- and 19-year-olds who hated it. After nearly the entire audience walked out of the screaming, Bob Zemeckis, who had final cut, said he wasn't changing a goddamn thing. Bunch of jaded douchebags. I know, right? Uh, Jessica Rabbit's speaking voice was performed by Kathleen Turner, and her singing voice was Amy Irving. Turner was uncredited, and there was, of course, that scene in the, I think it was in the laser disc, where people noticed it when she's getting tossed out of the car. Uh, the animators put her uh, naughty bits in. Mm-hmm. They later cleaned it up. <laughs> now, who do you think... Christopher Lloyd famously played Judge, Judge Doom and was fantastic, of course, a collaborator with Bob Zemeckis in the time. Who do you think auditioned for the role and would have made this movie banned in the Squeezer household? Really? Yeah, Tim Curry. Wow. He would have been frightening. Yeah. I think that would have been too scary. He's he was. Si- that, they, yeah. uh, he, his performance uh, scared Spielberg, Katzenberg, Eisner, and Zemeckis. They found it too terrifying. So they did not God. cast him. <clears throat> Damn, he was good. Yeah, he was. He still is. <clears throat> uh, every frame in the movie which featured a mixture of animation and live action had to be printed up as a still photograph. An animator would then draw the particular illustration for that frame on tracing paper on top of the photo. The outline drawing then had to be hand-colored. Once that was done, the drawing had to be composited back into the original frame using an optical printer. The amount of work done, like put into that, is incredible. Uh, Bill Murray, of course, was the original choice for Eddie Valiant, uh, but they couldn't get in contact with him. (laughs) So thank goodness... I think Bob Haskins was fantastic. I think he was great. Um, if Just you think- pay attention to Christopher Lloyd's performance as Judge Dredd, every scene where he has his glasses off, he never blinks. Yes. Later found out he's actually a tune, the one that killed Eddie mm-hmm. Valiant's brother. <laughs> That's my high pitch. That, that scared <laughs> the shit out of me when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. You know that there, it's the film poses a question, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? There's no question mark in the title. Because in Hollywood, that's bad luck. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I said that to a producer of a show called What the Heck Were They Thinking? <laughs> I said, you got to, the first season, I told Jay to take the question mark out of the title. He said, why? I said, because it's bad luck. Does that come, stem from anything in particular? Mm, I don't know where that comes from. That'll be homework for next week. Uh, to give Jessica's ample bosom an unusual bounce, her supervising animator, Russell Hall, reversed the natural up and down movements of her breasts as she walked. They bounce up, uh, they bounce up when a real woman's breast bounce down and vice versa. So they really curved it up. You know, nothing like a man <laughs> <laughs> to make an ideal version of a woman in, in animation. I- was there any women animating this film that just kind of poked their head in into really? Yeah, right. Really? really? Yeah, well, that, that was 1980. Probably they started this in 86, I would assume. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking 86, they probably started this animation process. Just think, though, four, five, five and a half years later, you are animating a T-Rex running at full gate on a computer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, all this led to that. Yeah, it was all part. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the line in it, 
Jessica Rabbit says, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way, is, I just butchered that. I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way. Ranks on the top 100 greatest lines ever spoken in film. I think it's a fantastic line. Mm -hmm. And one of the scenes that came by accident was when Roger and Eddie Valiant arrive at Maroon Studios to interrogate Mr. Maroon. Bob Haskins delivers his line. He looks straight ahead instead of down at the three-foot three rabbit, you know? So they just drew uh, Roger on his tippy toes. <laughs> Um, great, just ingenious, you know. If they see the gaff instead of reshooting it, work around it and mm -hmm. make you know make a famous you know, funny line. <laughs> Bob Hoskins claimed that Jessica Rabbit was not sketched by the animators when filming Wrapped, and he had no idea what the character would look like. So Bob Zemeckis told Hoskins to imagine his ideal sexual fantasy. Hoskins claimed that his mental image was less risque <laughs> than what Jessica looked like in the completed film. Uh, but yeah, everything about this movie was great. I, I had a Roger Rabbit doll. So this movie obviously came out in 88. Mm -hmm. uh, by my fifth birthday, I was four when it came out. By my fifth birthday, which was a Ghostbusters theme party, mm -hmm. I was carrying around a Roger Rabbit doll like it was my best friend. Did not leave it. In fact, Aww. he was your Woody. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's a Toy Story reference. I'm not referring to you. <laughs> well, we're talking about Jessica Rabbit here, Squeezer. I'm assuming at five, you weren't all there yet. Well, Maybe. You kind of were. You got those weird... I'm like, huh, what yeah, the hell what, is this? What's going on here? Those weird ones. Mom? Yeah. <laughs> is it going to fall off? <laughs> well, I never went that far, but... Uh, so, yeah, that's... Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit's a classic. We could talk all day about it, but we're not going to because, you know, we have jobs. So we're going to move on to your next pick. We're about to complete a great quest. The Holy Grail, Dr. Jones. Oh, rats. <laughs> this is it. Look, the shield is the second marker. We found it. Indiana Jones is on the quest of a lifetime. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Indiana Jones. So great. And The Last Crusade. And the last Indiana Jones movie ever made. This is how you end the trilogy. Right. You don't go ever go back and do a weird MacGuffin of some sort of alien skull. Not that they ever did that, but that would be a bad move. I mean, and the last thing do. I would do is put the Transformer kid in it. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if we're, if we're going to ruin a franchise after it ended so well, like, that, that's like, like, we're just spitballing here. You could... Take that dickhead from Transformers, uh, have a really lame MacGuffin, involve the Russians. Mm -hmm. With no depth of field whatsoever, <laughs> and then swing on some ropes with monkeys. If you were going to ruin it in four. If you're going to ruin oh, it and put a lot of CG ants in it, too. Ru oh, that's right. Yeah. Why didn't they CG? MacGyver no, no, did no, no, it. No, 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 no. They didn't oh, do it. They why would they do that? Yeah, why would they? Because MacGyver did an entire episode of Practical with ants. Yeah. And then that guy got eaten. Ooh, that was a scary episode. That was one of my favorites, though. Well, thank God they ended this, yes. the series on this movie. Yes, instead was, of like another franchise, which would happen just to have kill Hicks right off the bat and ruin it in three, not in four, potentially, if they were to ever make a fourth. No bloom comp is trying. So anyway, uh, what, what, um, what do you got for us on this one? This is by far my favorite. It's the best Jones. Of the it's, I, think I think it's the best. And Raiders is a work of art. It is. Um, but The Last Crusade... So, they brought in after... I didn't realize this. There were a few rewrites on yeah. this film. 
Right. Just a few. And Spielberg actually fought with Lucas oh, on yeah. the plot points instead yeah. of what could have been their fourth movie where he just let his stupid imagination run wild. <laughs> um, well, that, that stupid imagination that did give us Star Wars. Yeah. Um, but so, as you get older, you lose it. So uh, Georgie Boy initially came up with the, the script, and uh, it involved uh, the Fountain of Youth and the Monkey King from uh, Chinese Song Dynasty yes. legend. Um, and then it got tweaked and rewritten, and then someone came up with the idea of adding in Indy's father. It might have been Spielberg, or there were so many different writers it on it. Spielberg but, was like, we got to put in. So that's, his, that's his MO. The, the, the father-son the, the dynamic. dynamic. He wasn't yes. there for him. But um, the, the thing that I like about this movie so much is it's basically an Indiana Jones um, origin story. It is... The secret origin of in a Indiana sense, yeah. Jones, the well, whole it, opening. Yeah, the opening sequence was, I mean, it was huge. Uh, you find out why it. he got his name Indiana. Mm-hmm. The whip, the hat. The, the whip, the scar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the fear of snakes. Fear of Apparently, snakes. Apparently, on that train, there were, I think, seven different species, up to 5,000 snakes. Holy shit. Yeah, for that scene. Um, and while we're on animals, the, the sewer scene, uh, when they're looking for the uh, the rubbing, where they do the rubbing, they purchased 1,000 disease-free rats for the scene mm-hmm. in advance and then bred them up to 5,000. I don't know how they did that scene. When they're underneath the coffin oh. trying to hide from the fire and the rats are just spilling in yeah. on them. You wouldn't be able to... Uh, I don't know what they're getting paid. I would have... I, I don't know. Especially when rats they... don't really bother me that much. I get... Snakes, maybe. I almost hit a possum last night. That would have made me sad, but they kind of skeeved me out. I had one that trapped me in my house while I was trying to go to Domino's one night. They're nasty looking. Mm. Yeah, up close. But I don't know. I had gerbils, so I don't think rats are too much different. Okay. As long as I know they're clean. Yeah, they were clean. Though. Yeah. I, I never got that whole scene. Why were those guys in the fezes trying to just murder them? They are the protectors of the grail. Uh, like they don't care who you are like they in their sense indy at that point was just as bad as the nazis he was looking for the grail they're trying to keep he was him looking away. for his dad sure <laughs> so anyway uh this nazi woman who seduces both father and son she's oh also we're staying on the opening scene the young indiana yes. jones how he gets away in that uh magic box mm-hmm. that whole scene with the magician name and everything that was frank marshall's uh, actually, he used to do magic, and that was his magician name. Really? And Frank Marshall set up that whole trick, and they, that's how they were able to do it in one take. So he did it. That was that was his, his magic trick, name, and that was his trick. He set that blind, that uh, false bottom box mm-hmm. up, and they, and they never cut the camera in that scene. It's oh, that's all pretty one cool. Take. Frank, we'll talk about Frank Marshall a little bit later. And and Spielberg made Indy uh, a Boy Scout at the time because as he was filming it, um, he had just received the Distinguished Eagle Scout Award which was presented to everyone, not everyone, to a particular person that excelled in their craft in making the world a better place after 25 years of service after receiving your Eagle Scout Award. When will you be receiving this? Uh, let's see. I got mine in 2002. So, no, 2001. So what's 25, 1, 26 of 2026? So Never. Now, here's my question. If Ready Player One sucks, can we take it back? 
Well, he, um, I don't know if he's still, I think he got it or kept it or got back. But after the whole um, shenanigans involving, um, not in lo- involving, allowing uh, uh, gays in the Boy Scouts, he uh, relinquished his uh, Eagle Scout or was threatening to. I think he gave it back. Oh, like he he said when they, he, when they said they're not going to allow gays. Yeah, he's like, well, you know what? Then I don't want this. Okay, uh, but I think since he's uh, they must have been threatening to take it back because his movies have been kind of stinkers. <laughs> anyway, uh, his his dad um, isn't doesn't even appear in the movie until almost the halfway point. I that's think. that's true. Yeah. Well, he kind of does making that drawing of the window mm-hmm. uh, when when he's when he runs in to as a Boy Scout, but he's really not in it till. Yeah, um, and who, of course, played by Sean Connery. And he played very well by Sean um, Connery, who basically took the role and ran with it. Like he was really excited about it because he himself is an amateur historian and a big fan of history, so he basically developed his character the way he thought it should be. Uh, and the, his whole look and just his approach to it and the uh, the student-teacher relationship more than the father-son, right. uh, he pushed for that even more so. And just the way he his uh, uh, cadence with him and just the way he would talk to him was more of a lecturing way yeah. uh, than a loving way. Question. Yes. The historian in you. You do believe there was a Joseph of Arimathea? Yes. Uh, Records show that most likely existed, yes. And there was a man named Jesus who claimed to be the Son of God. Absolutely existed. It's in Roman documents. Right. So, do you believe that there was a cup that they thought was a holy grail? Oh, yes. I wouldn't be surprised if... I mean, clearly, I don't believe in magic, so I don't believe that there is a real holy grail. Well, sure, I'm saying... A, a, but you a, believe there is a cup that they thought contained these powers. Some, you mean that I thought this cup actually existed that, but didn't contain powers? Yes. Or, cause, well, sure, because there are records of this event existing. Okay. Do I believe that there are people that sincerely thought in the past... Now, this is the cup he caught his blood with, Right. I don't remember the whole. Yeah, that turned into wine or whatever. I I I, I, I tap out uh, right about uh, twenty two BC once uh, Caesar Augustus takes power. Once we start going empire, I start tapping out. I'm more of a Roman Republic man myself. Who could blame you? Well, yeah, I gotta. It's on Hulu, Last Crusade. So if you have it, go give it a revisit because it's worth it. I watched it's it. It's really, not, it's an HD master. Long. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's good. It's just, and it, it, the way I think it's paced out is excellent. It, it, it has everything of an Indiana Jones film, and you get plenty of the action in it. Uh, the tank sequence towards the end is really exciting, which that tank, um, they had looked into getting, renting a tank from a museum, and they're like, ah, nah, fuck it, we'll build it ourselves. Well, the squeezer so, way. The squeezer way. So, I, of course, I absolutely love that. <laughs> so they took a um, an excavator and built the tank around that. And the problem with that is it would only go at like eight miles an hour. So for the horse chase scenes, it was difficult to shoot because I don't think a horse can even run eight miles an hour. Like, well, That's no. slow, you mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, a horse Walking. can't. Like, it, yeah. would, it would look awkward. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, he's 
Speaking of, riding. I, the beginning scene when he, in, young Indy's fleeing on a horse and the cars aren't catching up to him, that makes you wonder, ni- was it 1908? Yeah. That, so or 1912, 1912. 1912, so you're looking at... Vehicles did not have the ability to catch up to a horse. Not likely. No. Um, and so what they did was they made a an, uh, an aluminum frame that would just be used as a foreground piece. So when you see the tank in the foreground and the horse running at full speed, that's not the full tank that you're seeing. Okay. Well, that's a great movie. Um, so you talked about Joe Johnson doing Rocketeer. He got his start doing this movie. Walt Disney Pictures presents the movie critics are calling this summer's biggest surprise. What happened? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. At the movie's raves, it's the most astonishing, innovative backyard adventure of all time. Take everyone. And Roger Ebert hailed the special effects as inventive and first-rate. That's great! And the LA Daily News calls it more fun than any of this summer's big sequels. Stop! Walt Disney Pictures presents... <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you. All right, Squeezer, do you remember a movie called Teeny Weenies? I could lie and say yes, but I am not a liar, so I will say no. Yeah, well, no one does because it was originally the name for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but studios decided against it, thankfully. Wow, a studio actually made a good call. I remember this movie quite vividly. Uh, we saw it at the Shankwilders Drive-In, which was up the street from my house at the time. It's America's oldest drive-in, right? Uh, second, o- oldest still existing. Oldest still there existing. There was one before it that was in New Jersey, but that no longer exists. Yeah. It is still operating. Still operating, and it's still there. I haven't been there in forever. I got to get back there. Bring a blanket. Get a little, uh, get your girl all cozied up in there. You sneak booze in. I don't even know if it's sneaking. You just, you just out of it. sight, out of mind, I mean, right? I, I never drank at Shankweiler's because I, I didn't been there in some time. But the other driving up the road. Becky's? You'd just, yeah, we'd get a pony pack and then just pound rolling rocks. Yeah. And then the one kid shows up with a jar full of uh, moonshine. and You don't remember the movie then? Well, thankfully, because it was Die Hard 9, I think. Oh, yeah. And one of the Transformers up were in, somewhere in the teens. Hmm. So... It's better off. They just, speaking of Transformers, they just disbanded the Transformers writing room finally. <laughs> Thank goodness. So anyway. Uh, like, like one of the Decepticons that like put that all pieced together, they just pulled all the separate yeah, right. ones apart. Mm-hmm. So my, speaking of smuggling in, my dad used to smuggle us into the driving, the movie theater. We, we didn't grow up with a whole lot of money. We were, like I said, we were middle class, maybe lower, upper, middle class. Upper, lower, middle upper, class. Upper, lower, middle class. That's it. So uh, we had uh, this Ford Bronco, and we just get in the back under the blankets. <laughs> There's something about hiding in the back of a Ford Bronco. It's fun. Yeah. It's nothing. Nothing's wrong with that. Uh, I, we didn't murder anyone, though, or allegedly murder. Allegedly. Anyone. Yeah. So we went to see uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and it was preceded at the time by a Roger a Roger Rabbit short. Now Roger Rabbit came out the year prior. In uh, May of 1989, or 89, I'm sorry, 88. And a year later, in May of 1989, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out. And I guess to sell it, because Roger Rabbit was still very popular at the time, and they never really did anything else with it. You know, I figured he'd be showing up in all sorts of, mm-hmm. you know, nowadays he'd have his own cartoon yeah. spinoff. Well, is it the cost effectiveness of it? I would assume. I mean, it had to have been pricey. 
Uh, yeah, well, it cost $1.2 million just to do this short, Tummy Trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, of course, with, uh, um, what's his name, the baby from the movie. Uh, baby Finster? Yeah. Or no, that, yeah, Baby Finster. Was it Baby Finster? Baby Herman. Baby Herman. Baby Herman. I didn't want to get slack. Oh, Baby. Great character, mm -hmm. though, in the movie. Uh, when he smacks the girls, the girl's ass and says he wants his binky. <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, I'm My thinking stogie. bugs. Oh yeah. 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 So they did tummy trouble and it was in front of honey. I shrunk the kids. I don't remember what the second movie was. I don't even know if we stayed for it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what it might've been cocoon. When did cocoon come out? Oh, that's a weird pairing. Well, they always pair like a kid's movie with an, oh, mm -hmm. 85 now. Oh, you know what? Oh, I'm trying to think what it was. Uh, batteries not included. That's a good pairing. 87. Hmm. No. That was another. My mom, like, loved these kind of movies. So. Uh, they're going to. They said they'd get back to me. Said, Give me an information regarding Jurassic Park, what that was paired with. Yeah. And the second that they do, they don't realize the Pandora's <laughs> box that they opened because I'm going to be emailing them. So you're going to find out what Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was paired Absolutely, with? Absolutely. Another boy. Uh, in this movie, we all know, we all know the plot. It's uh, about a, a Rick Moranis uh, plays a mad scientist who, uh, well, not so mad, but he has the shrinking ray and he just can't get it to work. I think if you're a shrinking ray, you're a mad scientist. Yeah, that's true. If you're trying to you know, fuck with physics and the laws of nature, you're mad. So he had the shrinking ray, couldn't get it to work. His kid futzes with it and there's him and the neighbor's kids are sitting on the couch and boom, they're gone. They shrunk. And then the adventure is trying to get uh, back to the gun to reverse the shrink. And along the way, there's many adventures of what the yard would would uh, include. Bugs. Anti. Anti. Well, ants, a bee, uh, water, a big bowl of Cheerios. And you know how they film that? Uh, a general idea, but if you could indulge me. Well, it was a tank. And mm -hmm. it was filled with pigmented white water, chlorinated water. It was like a pool. And then the Cheerios were uh, tractor inner tubes with a, f a foam coating around it. Clever. Yeah. Very clever. And it actually looked like a bowl of Cheerios. Yeah. But, uh, of course, the Chekhov's uh, oatmeal cream pies, they definitely, the people were starving. And, you mm. know, the, the boy, the young boy loves his oatmeal cream pies. They just keep rubbing that in your face. And later, what do they find? but an oatmeal cream pie to eat. And it's like the most delicious big, they're swimming in cream and mm -hmm. oatmeal cookie. Uh, you know, fine. I found it odd that like, I don't know, maybe it's different just being from, you know, Eastern Pennsylvania, but the scorpion. I was like, really? There are just scorpions running around in people's backyards? Yeah, we don't really know where in the world they're at, but if it was Arizona, sure. That's true. <laughs> but their grass wouldn't have been that high. So and, plush. And, plush. and they would have been really pissed with the sprinkler going off. Yeah. <laughs> This is 1989. I don't think they're in a drought at that point. Mm. Maybe. It could have been Tom Selleck's yard. Could have been. Could have been. You bring in your own water. You import water. So we all know what happened. Of course, they get back and, you know, everything's fine. It's a great movie and Rick Moranis is great. John Candy was supposed to play it, but he recommend, he couldn't do it. He recommended Rick Moranis. Chevy Chase was also supposed to put, be in it, you know. I couldn't see it go any other way. No. I mean, and you say that in hindsight. Well, Rick too. Moranis played a, always played a great father character because mm -hmm. he's so loving. He is. And sweet. He was great in Little Giants. That's one. That's a great movie. Yeah, it's a movie we'll have to visit one day and on the podcast. 
uh, you know, and then of course he retired from acting because his wife passed away from cancer, and he decided to re raise his daughters instead of act, which was you know noble on his part. And up in Canada, of course, he put out a folk album, a bluegrass kind of folk album, and uh, he d uh, turned down a chance to cameo in the Ghostbusters Answer the Call. I don't know what that tells you about it. Maybe he's just has no interest in act like if you're gone that long and you have the opportunity to come back and have a guest role in that the biggest franchise that you're a part of well he said i just don't understand the point of this movie and a lot of people i like i enjoyed the Fair movie enough. i thought it was funny it was good my biggest issue my biggest issue would be the over cgi, CGI yeah. over cgi they didn't they, they developed the villain well enough but i don't think they developed the business blue collar business aspect Mm -hmm. of what they're doing. That's what Ghostbusters nailed so well. Yeah. These scientists are just a couple of blue-collar guys. Just grinding it out. Just mm -hmm. running a business, like an mm -hmm. exterminator business almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's the... Uh, Someone's the, the, old the, cock the, the arsenal. Five. The arsenal. Yeah, that, a was, little, yeah, that was a little too much. Like like Kenner got their hands yeah, on the script. right. Yeah, I, I don't know if Mattel, Mattel didn't put out too many toys... But they really set it up to put them out. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's uh, that is my last pick. And they, of course, had a sequel. They had a direct-to-video sequel, "Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves." They had an actual movie theater sequel, which we also saw at Shankwathers, I believe. "Honey, I Blew Up the Kid." Yeah, I saw that probably in the dollar theater. And then, <laughs> and then they made a uh, television show, and I think there was also a. Theme park ride? Honey, I uh, shrunk the audience. I actually uh, participated in. No way. Yeah, it was, what, one of, was that Disney? Uh, it was probably MGM. MGM. You've told me tales um, of this MGM. Yes. So it, it, actually, that surprised. Yeah, there was something to do. Um, it was. I think it was like one of those um, like sensory kind 40, of. Forty now they call them. Yeah, yeah. forty. So it's like you yeah, had the smell, and they would like blow things on the back of your legs, and it, then what? using. <laughs> hmm. All right, never like mind. blow air. Yeah, like okay. Blow. All right. Keep going. Uh, and then like using like 9.1, whatever surround sound system that they have to trick your brain into thinking like there's mice running under your feet and you could feel it and you react mm, to it. Right. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Well, that's neat. But uh, yeah, this was a great movie. And if you haven't seen it or you haven't revisited it in a while, give it a, it still kind of holds up. I think I might. How's, how's the blue screen? hold up or was it green screen at that point it might have still been blue uh, yeah i think they shot on blue yeah but how does that hold up do you remember like it, half decent yeah it's, as far as it's pretty it's pretty good yeah. a lot of it was practical sets though mm -hmm. yeah so uh yeah honey i shrunk the kids on to squeezers next pick welcome to mortville a great place to live. A great place to play. A great place to raise a kid. But not this kid. That's right. Bad Junior's back. And this time, you little psycho. A problem. What in the hell is this? Junior's back. Who the hell's Junior? The Junior. That movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Uh, different Junior. This is the uh, character of Junior in the oh. film 
Problem Child 2, the uh, sequel to Problem Child. Of course. I told you I had one on my list. Right. And it's not the one that you thought. Um, so Problem Child 2 is the 1991 sequel to Problem Child, where uh, uh, Ben, who played by the great, late, late great John Ritter, Super uh, late. Great. Yeah. Um, that he's super great or super late? Super great late, John. Sure. Okay. Um, and then Michael Oliver, mm-hmm. child actor, played Junior, who's this little, little ginger evil kid that just destroys the world around him, just really looking for love, um, who in the first series uh, ended the marriage of uh, Ben, John Ritter, and Amy Yazbeck's uh, Flo, uh, now, Amy Asbeck returns in this movie, but she's not playing Ben's wife, Flo. He's pl- she's playing his new love interest, Annie Young. So, the same actress, different characters. I did a little research on this. Yes. In rehearsals for the original movie, they met John Ritter and her mm-hmm. and started becoming romantic. Mm-hmm. And they wanted, he wanted her, they want, they both wanted to be in the script again. So that's what, why they did this. They worked her in as a different character because they said he would be smitten for someone who looked like this. Mm -hmm. Obviously was. They were married. She was, they they were married till, uh, till his passing. They had a daughter together. She was uh, quite attractive. I was made Marion in uh, Robin Hood Men of Tides. Yes. Oh, yeah, I would not... With her chastity belt. I would not disagree with you. That is safe, my willing. <laughs> uh, anywho, uh, Annie has a daughter named Trixie. Well, now, Trixie is the junior of Mortville here, so she's the new evil competition. So they're basically going head-to-head with each other just to see who can outdo uh, one another. Ugh. Anyway... There are some scenes that stand out in particular. There's a gross-out scene at the carnival where all the kids are on a, uh, what would you call it, like a spinny kind of ride. In that scene, uh, Junior isn't allowed on the ride because he's too short and then gets made fun of for it. So the um, scoundrel that he is messes with the mechanics of the ride and speeds it up to a point where... It goes so fast, it induces vomiting on everyone on board, and it basically turns into a long Saturday Night Live gag where they just have the rubber hose up their sleeve and just Mm -hmm. hurling vomit. And it just, everyone's covered in vomit. It causes more people to vomit than people not on the ride start vomiting, and it's just one big gross-out scene. And it's kind of the theme of the entire movie because the initial movie was somewhat panned, saying that it wasn't for kids and it was a little too gross and immature and mean-spirited and isn't really a kid's movie despite what they made it to be. So you go, all right, well, watch this. We're going to one-up you and make an even worse movie for kids. And they sure as hell did. Was it, it actually, mean-spirited? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, their initial uh, R rating, they had to get it down to a PG-13 because it's a kid's movie. So they made a kids movie and they initially got an R rating. So they had to do some uh, dub work and uh, ADR out uh, Junior saying such phrases as "fuck face" and "pussy whip." To uh, yeah, Junior probably shouldn't say those. Yeah, he probably shouldn't be saying those. God damn it, Junior! <laughs> Watch your mouth. Uh, Gilbert Godfrey, I think, steals the movie. He's the principal again. 
uh, promotes Junior, Junior shows up and he's in the third grade and he's terrified. And he's like, you're going to be here three more years. So immediately promotes him to the sixth grade. Because that's legal. Yeah. Um, but then him just ranting at Junior for, because then Junior's like, well, my dad says third grade is the foundation of a great education. And Gilbert Godfrey in such a uh, gentle way informing him that his dad is a moron <laughs> is fucking fantastic. Your that, dad is a moron. It's my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's I sometimes, fantastic. if oh, I, my voice is right and I practice at it, I could get a good Gilbert. He's a moron. And just when he's on the phone with his uh, girlfriend at the time, and he's like, oh, I have to deal with one of the little weenies right now. He's just a perfect, perfect dick. And even though he's not even the main villain in the movie, the, the rich woman in town who wants to marry Ben, uh, who Junior dislikes and knows that she hates children... But Big Ben, John Ritter's father, wants him to marry because, you know, he's a scumbag con artist and he just wants to get rich. Junior and Trixie want their parents to get married because they end up realizing they're a pretty good team. Right. And the movie ends with, you know, of course, they they do end up getting married because Trixie crashes the wedding and uh, uh, Annie Young and Ben get married and then the dog, who Junior's been feeding all kinds of garbage to, finally rips a giant poop. And the movie ends with the dog standing next to a giant pile of steaming poop that's actually larger than the dog. And they walk off into the sunset. And why not? So, fortunately, we have to thank the Emoji Movie for at least outdoing this film with <laughs> its 6% on Rotten Tomatoes because this thing has a solid... 7% on Rotten Tomatoes after all these years. To me, though, I watched the shit out of this movie. Did you ever, you know what made me think of, this movie made me think of when you were when you were telling me about John Ritter and you're talking about this? Did you ever see the movie Stay Tuned? Where John Ritter plays a guy who him and his wife get sucked into this hellish TV set? I have not, but now I need to put this on my to-do oh, list. Oh, we'd watch it over and over Stay and over. tuned. Hang on, I'm typing this in. I could be doing this off air, but I will forget. I wonder what it. I wonder if it was panned or not. I just it popped in my head as you were talking about John Ritter, and I just remembered watching it as a kid. Stay tuned. Oh, not nah, forty-six. That's it's better than seven. Yeah. Uh, has its moments. Second-rate screenplay is given a first-rate treatment by underrated director Peter Hims. Should be. Um, should be redone. That's a movie that that at this point. In time. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, yeah. Now, I mean, Prom Child 2 wasn't going to, you know, be, you know, reinvigorate the franchise. It wasn't going to blow up the world. It wasn't going to steal the Oscars. It wasn't going to win the box office. It didn't have any help when uh, T2 came out the exact same day. Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that'll that'll put a hurt on your summer box office. But... um you know, it did money. It, it it did make money. Surprisingly, yeah. But did it make its budget back? Oh yeah, but no. yeah, it cost it only cost fifteen million to make. That made pulled in thirty two at the box office. So, you would look at that and say, hey, it's profit. This next one was kind of a midsummer blockbuster, but because of who it came from, it made a lot of money. For fifteen years, Harry Tasker has been leading a double life. Hi, Helen. Is he in? How is he in a sales meeting with Tasker? He's protected the country. He's faced the enemy. But when his wife finds out, Harry, who's going to protect him? Arnold Schwarzenegger. G. 
Jamie Lee Curtis in a James Cameron film. What can I say? I'm a spy. True Lies. Rated R. Starts Friday, July 15th at theaters everywhere. Ah, uh, True Lies. I saw this in, not in the drive-in, in the dollar theater, our dollar theater, in its second run. Mm-hmm. Back then, movies would be in uh, theaters for forever. So they'd hit second run. This was probably right before we went back to school. Uh, late August, I saw okay. this in second run at the Plaza, which is now a Gold's Gym in the old one of our mm-hmm. old malls. Yeah. But um, they'd even run TV spots. See it again, you yeah. know, uh, for a second run. Did you go yourself or did you? No, my my friend's dad took us. So. Okay, so that's how you were able to get. You didn't sneak in to see no, it. No, no, no. Did you ever have to really sneak in for an R-rated movie? Did they just yeah, the people we, there just we, not care. We did when we were like sixteen and fifteen. We had to. Yeah. Well, that theater was great because it had that it had a fire door that went right to the back alley by the Arby's. Right. So you get one guy in, and then whoop, everyone else right. comes in the back. Right. Not like the one Carmike that was easy where you just walk in and wave to the guy and say hi. And they didn't know how to react. <laughs> right. So you just walk right by without a ticket and you go, you go, hey, how's it going? And he would just wave and smile and he'd be too awkward to stop you. Hmm. And just go right in the theater. Excuse me, sir. Simpsons nailed that yeah. piece of culture. <clears throat> so True Lies, story about a, a Henry Tasker who is a oddly foreign american <laughs> it's a very american name yeah yeah very american name for a very foreign sounding man but nonetheless it's america maybe we'll do a little headcanon and it, it's a covert name that he is a, a a double agent that after leaving europe ended up coming here and they gave him that name and now he's working for the u.s government are we making our own uh, fan fiction canon now Yes. Okay. So anyway, uh, he's got this uh, hot wife, Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, when she was still rocking that smoking bod. Before the yogurt. Before the, yeah, the the poop yogurt. And she's at home bored because she thinks her husband's just a low-level business guy. And she's being rused, conned by a a used car salesman who's making her believe in, in it was... Not Bill Pullman, but... A hilarious Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. And he played a great role. Nailed it. They really, really shit on that character in that movie, too. Yes. They put him through through the grind. But he plays a used car salesman lying that he is actually a secret agent. Her husband finds out, and he uses his influence to not only interrogate both of them, and but uh, also make his wife go on a mission and the whole scene in the bedroom where he's playing another man's voice off a tape recorder, that always kind of pissed me off <laughs> because, like, who wouldn't be able to tell that was coming out of a half-inch shitty speaker? Like, that's not his voice. Like, come on. It, was no, it was no talk boy. No, it was no talk boy. And uh, she did that strip scene and oddly super tur- – well, not oddly, but super turned on as a kid. And hilarious at the same it time. It was hilarious. You know that great. one time when she drops and falls to the ground he, like, gets startled? That wasn't intended, and it, like Arnold actually got startled, but they kept rolling. True Cameron fashion. Cameron's mm-hmm. probably yelling over the loudspeaker because it was probably all 80 yard. Keep it going. <laughs> um, so that yeah, that was a great scene. And then the, she gets mistaken for an actual agent, and they have to stop the Palestinian terrorists. Uh, Tom Arnold played a great part that the studio did not want because of his controversy with Roseanne Barr. But uh, James Cameron said, "Fine, I'm not making the movie then." And of course, the studio balked. James Cameron went to bat for, for Tom, Tom Arnold. Thank goodness he played a great role. He was fantastic. He's, fantastic. He's really he was he was. I loved him in that movie as a kid because he was the comedy comedic relief. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, you know, they saved the world. But uh, you know what? Out of all the action scenes, what Arnold had the most trouble with in the movie? Hmm. The tango. Really? Arnold could not tango. Had to have instructors come in to help him through it. The opening scene where he goes into the, I think, German or Russian or some blind, mm-hmm. you know, or Austrian. <laughs> Could be. And he smacks the two dogs' heads together and they run away. He could now, not tango. Now, what I would think most likely is, because a lot of, uh, I don't know if you watch Dancing with the Stars. No. But there are certain athletes that do rather well and there are some that don't. And I think it's the way... You know, over the years of him developing his body and the movement that he does, it doesn't translate. He wasn't an athlete. He was just all muscle. Yes. There's no muscle memory. Some people would say say that's an athlete. I guess. Uh, Anyway, this movie, uh, you know, went on to make a fortune and it was a big summer blockbuster. And uh, Elijah Descu went on to be a secret agent of her own and. Some movies, and I don't know where her career kind of stalled out. I don't know. All I know is the action is so over the top, but yet still acceptable because it is a comedy. Yeah. Whereas uh, you get so many of them now where it's, they tr- if you take yourself seriously and you have the same action as True Lies, people just right. balk at it. Another movie that's worth revisiting and another great summer blockbuster. And moving on to Squeezer's next pick. ice caps have melted and the earth lies beneath a watery grave those who survived have adapted to a new world what did you see out there in the 15 lunars such as an end an end to all this water asking the wrong person pure dirt so what's the word we trading or not and the human dream is the search for a mythical place called dry land. It doesn't exist! How can you be sure? Because I sailed farther than most have dreamed. I've never seen it. This place, this whole way of living, it's ending. Straight line leading directly. Directly to dry land. You actually watch this hunk of junk? Whoa, 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 Mr. Mean-spirited. <laughs> this is Waterworld, right? Uh, this, of course it's Waterworld. Um, I will defend this movie. Why? Not to the death, but to an extent. Why? Because it was a work of love. Was it? Was, it? it was a piece of, pa- well, for one man. Uh, it was a passion project. And it was very ambitious. Not ambitious enough to have bathrooms on set, but ambitious. Oh, yeah, I read about that. They had to uh, drag the extras back to a barge because there was no bathrooms on anything just to go to the bathroom. I mean, you think you're right there in the ocean. Just lean over the edge and... Um, yeah, so Waterworld. I think it gets a bad rap. So in 1995, when this was released... Uh, it was the expensive movie made to date, which now with a budget most expensive movie. Most ex- what did I say? Is the expensive movie made to date? Um, 
I ran out of coffee. Um, $172 million to make this, which is almost scoffed at now for a large blockbuster. They just reserve that for reshoots. Yeah. Um, at least because at the time, you know, prior to that, you I'm not these aren't the biggest budgets, but big movies. Jurassic Park was 63 million. Independence Day cost 75 million. Those are pretty big movies. Yes, those are very big. Movies. A lot of and effects. This, this cost m- more than that, com- half times that combined. Yeah, you that's know? a lot of money. Um, well, when you have to close off part of the Pacific Ocean, it gets a little pricey. Yeah. I can they see that. basically they didn't do any tank work on this. They did some tank work, but because of the need for such a large scale, uh, you know, the visual aspect of being out there on nothing, to have a tank. I mean, now yeah, you'd probably just you probably wouldn't even shoot any of it on water. You, all of it would just be on green screen and then key everything in. It'd be a small tank. Um, all but uh, in green. Now, it, question for yes. you. If all the polar ice caps melted yes. and all the water in the world was now unfrozen and in the ocean. Are we talking about next year? Sure, it could be. I do not think it would cover all the land masses on Earth. I don't know. Do Where did all this extra water come from? Um, alien rain clouds. Oh. Yes. So this was a hypothetical or maybe not. Or it was like Earth 317. Yeah, well, be. no, I think it's. Well, no, it's Earth because you see the cities underwater that's so yeah but it could be a different version of earth uh, i i think the idea is that it's supposed to be earth because the the mountain peak that they find at the end of the movie spoilers um eventually because i don't want to tell you to have to actually go back and rewatch this i don't want to take up three days of your time but uh was uh the top of the himalayas Um, that they basically find um how big is that can't be that big well, you, I don't. They don't really explain how much land is left. I mean, it's a big fucking mountain. They don't yeah. say how much of it is actually covered. What do they? I mean, it's not just like the peak, but. Uh, was this based on any property, or was this all? I think this was his little brainchild. It got a Kenner toy line. Mm-hmm. Um, it's toys. They did a lot of toys, and they yeah. did not sell. Um. Neither did uh. Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah Kevin Costner. Yeah. They just um, kept hedging all the money on Costner. <laughs> uh, I, but I, I will defend... They, they, they took chances. And I you said you like this movie. I kind of do. I mean, it has its issues. The um, So, yeah, Kevin Costner, he's the uh, mariner. He's got his boat, and he ends up with these, th- these two girls and uh, the uh, smokers, the... Raiders, pirates, whatever you want to call them, of the ocean, led by uh, King Koopa, <laughs> um, Dennis Hopper, who won an award for his portrayal in this film. I believe that would be a Razzie. Still an award. Uh, still an award for uh, Worst Supporting Actor. Well, the, I mean, when you deliver such classic lines as, um, quote, you're a total freaking retard. So I could see Hopper saying that. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's great. The absurdity of it. When did this come out? 94? 95. 95. Yeah, so it, was, it wasn't the R word yet. You could still say it and just mean it, say it to be mean. <laughs> sure. Um, you weren't putting down an entire demographic. Um, so Mad Max 2 on water. 
uh, now he's trying to protect these girls, blah, blah, blah. They eventually catch up to him with the ex- they, the bad guys are on the Exxon Valdez. Why did they want these girls? Because uh, the young girl has a map tattooed on her back on how to get to dry land. They don't explain really how to read that map because you're just out on the Who ocean. Who would tattoo a young girl? I don't know. I, I don't know if they got the... Uh, it's child cruelty. Yeah, if they didn't... Get, I mean, she's not uh, like a baby. She's like a young teen or something like that. So Still. I don't know if her parents signed off on it or not. That would probably... Probably child endangerment. Honey, this is going to hurt severely. Well... N- and you'll probably <laughs> be hunted down and murdered for it. By pirates. By pirates. Yes. This is your... your 15th, 13th, this is your quinceanera <laughs> present. Um, what would hurt more is... Do they still celebrate quinceaneras in Waterworld? Uh, maybe. Mm. I mean, I, I get that nice little dress. Yeah. Well, I wish I was a Mexican girl. That looks like fun. Yeah. Um, but what would hurt more is falling out of a hot air balloon from about 100 feet and falling into the water. Oh, yeah. Which... <laughs> oh, yeah. So they have a hot air balloon. That they're using to oh, escape. Yeah, where'd they get a hot air balloon? I don't remember. Um, and she hits Did the water. Did they explain it at all? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. It's been a while. Um, I really wasn't going to put that much effort into going back and watching four and a half hours of Waterworld. Um, Kevin, did Kevin Costner have final cut? Well, kind of, because uh, Kevin Reynolds, the director of the film, yeah. and they were tight. They were good friends together. This has been their first project. Uh, quit towards the end of filming. Mm-hmm. So Kevin Costner took the helm to quote, uh, to semi quote paraphrase, if you will, Kevin Reynolds. Uh, Kevin Costner can go work with his favorite actor, director, and producer. Okay. Being himself. Well, yeah. So there's a little bit of a falling out there, uh, and then yeah. So Kevin Costner went on and even put some of his own money into this project, but uh, then had his own forty five hundred dollar a night room in Hawaii. While everyone else was in shambles. Yeah, it wasn't the best circumstance for the entire crew. There was almost a mutiny on the, the set. What? Hmm? <laughs> okay, and did this mo- did this recoup any of its money? Uh, eventually, yeah. I thought it was like the biggest disaster ever. It, see, it, it gets that only because at the time the cost of it was so exorbitant that they thought that, well, now it's going to make 10 times, like it was going to be raking in billions and this was going to be a property and it's going to be huge and then it wasn't hmm. um i wonder if this put pause to any studios making titanic see i don't well 95 i think he i think he was already underway and plus it's cameron and at the time he could do absolutely no wrong yeah but remember he was almost not allowed to make true lies because of <laughs> tom arnold oh that's also true but while you look for that, I will explain the, uh, at the ending of the movie, we're talking about falling in the water. So this is where it kind of just, I don't want to say it falls off the rails. There weren't any rails. They're just kind of floating through. Um, for some reason, the remaining three smokers, including Dennis Hopper, all at perfect triangular position to reach this girl from three different directions. So she's in the water. Dennis Hopper goes, get her. And they all go racing at her like they're going to grab her. But in reality, they would have just smashed into each other which they do, but fortunately Kevin Costner saves her because he ties a rope around his ankle and then jumps out of the hot air balloon, grabs her out of the water, and then Bungie jumps back into the balloon and everyone's safe and sound. At no point did it ever dislocate his ankle, tear his foot clean off his body, 
and then have them both just plunge to their deaths. Nope, he springs right back. Because that's what ropes do. Yeah. Ropes are natural bungee cords. Sure. Uh, I knew a guy that lost a finger when his wedding ring got caught in the back of a, a garbage truck. So, it, yeah, it was pretty gross. How, how does that relate with the rope? Like, it, the rope, it would just pop his foot right off. It would have torn it right off. Yeah. But he just fell off a garbage truck. Ring got caught and popped his finger off. It was pretty gross. Hmm. Uh, and then... Then, so the three jet skis, including Stenning and Hopper, uh, collide. But before they collide, they all explode into a ball of fire at least 10 to 15 feet away from each other because they triggered the stunt too early. <laughs> and you could see it clear as day that for no reason whatsoever, three jet skis just explode simultaneously before they collide with each other. And the effects master was probably like, we got it, we're good. Yeah, at this point, just fuck it. I want to go back to Martini dry land. shot. Martini. Um, we're clear. We're just going to shoot coverage of the flames and the wreckage. Yeah, so eventually it did... It, 264 million total. Brought in. So at it least made like it 90 made, million. That's yeah. pretty good. Um, it, it was considered... Uh, it was nicknamed Kevin's Gate. Okay. I get it? Because yeah. all those people died, so they made a joke about a movie. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Josh Whedon... Was, was yeah hired to do rewrites on it and yes. said it was hell on earth. Yes, worst week of like his life or something. Seven days, weeks seven, days ahead, in a, seven days in hell or something like that. Um, but like I said, I, I just think they tried. Eventually, uh, Kevin Reynolds and uh, Costner would uh, reconcile, and then Kevin Reynolds would direct Costner in Hatfield McCoy's uh, History Channel miniseries that he won a, a director uh, Emmy for for a miniseries. I don't hate on the movie. I give him a chance. I give him a chance for trying. I like the fact that they did a little a lot of practical work, and that goes a long way with me. Yeah, I've... I like the Postman too. Not gonna lie, <laughs> which was Waterworld on land. Yeah, right. it was Mad Max two with horses. Right. Well, that's uh, that's a that, that was a hell of a pick there, Squeeze. I thought that was gonna be your box office bomb, but it didn't. It made money. It still did. Uh, I don't. I'm trying to remember uh, I, the crunching the numbers. If it recouped at the box office, or was just after the fact as far no, as it, 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 260 was box office. That was box yeah. office. All right, then you can't complain. I just think that so many people gambled their mortgages on it, like they thought that this was going to be it. They were going to, after this movie, they're going to go buy their island, kind of mm -hmm. like Kevin Costner did while filming. <laughs> all right, moving on. Uh, now here's a movie that you're all going to think was a flop. And a failure, but it made money. It made a good amount of money. What was that? Excitement. Shoot it! Adventure. Go, go, go! Danger. Ah! I never saw an animal move like this. From the best-selling novel by the author of Jurassic Park. Help me! Help me! See it all again. Watch out! Congo. Rated PG-13. Now at theaters everywhere. Now, uh, never underlying theme of this podcast is me defending Congo, whether it be action figures, food tie-ins, the movie itself. Uh, I love Congo and everything for it. Mm -hmm. It came out, uh, I think, a year or two after, I think, June 9th, 1995, so two years after uh, Jurassic Park, and it, it got greenlit immediately after the success of Jurassic Park and was directed by a producer of Jurassic Park and produced by 
a producer of Jurassic Park, Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall. Frank Marshall directed it. Kathleen Kennedy, his wife, produced it. Very powerful. Probably, arguably, the most powerful couple in Hollywood. And uh, Frank Marshall, who did the magic trick in mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, would, would go on to make this. He wanted to CG the gorillas, like the Jurassic Park, but one thing that CG could not do that dinosaurs did not have was... Hair. Yes, and gorillas have a lot of that. So they used uh, actors in suits, which didn't bother me, but bothered a lot of people. Uh, and it was based on the Crichton novel, but they, they kind of took some liberties. Not many. It's pretty much the same story. I've read the book. I've watched the movie multiple times on both. Uh, there was no Halkamahamelka in the, in the book novel, but he's kind of a, a conglomerate of other characters. Played wonderfully by someone who is not allowed in your house. <laughs> Poor Mr. Curry. Yeah, Tim Curry. And uh, there is, they get a hot air balloon, and we know exactly how they got it in this movie and why they have it. It's a, uh, it's a joke early in the movie. Joe Pantaleono plays Eddie Ventro, a small role, and he plays it great. He's picking up, see, at the time, uh, Karen Ross, uh, who's husband played by Bruce Campbell, well, ex-fiance or ex-husband, whatever, gets maybe murdered in the Congo while they're trying to do an uplink, while they're looking for this diamond, communications diamond. So this man's father, who Travis, who owns Travicom, sends Karen down there herself to recover not only the diamond, but her, his son, her ex-fiance or husband or whatever. So she has to find a way, because the Congo can't know they have these diamonds or they'll never let them in. You're dealing with conflict minerals in the 90s already. Yeah, exactly. So uh, they got to get in there. And, of course, the border's shut. And they need a way to get in. They need a a, a patsy to get in. So they they find this expedition. Amy, the talking gorilla, who uses, in the book, she just uses sign language. but Nintendo Power Fist. Yeah, exactly. She has the power glove. So she's got this glove that allows her sign language to be translated into speech, which actually developed. It was real technology. So, not in the movie, but in real life. Mm-hmm. So she gloms onto this trip because Hulkamahamalka runs out of money and they need her money. And Eddie Ventro picks him up and uh, basically shits all over uh, Dylan Walsh's trip and says, yeah, this is not your trip. We fired your tour guy. We hired Monroe Kelly. And he's like, do you really need all this stuff? And she says, yes. He goes, do you need a hot air balloon? And she goes, what? Let me see that. No. And she starts checking off things. So they, they get in and they get stopped by uh, uh, Delroy Lindo plays uh, an African a general, mm-hmm. a military man. And he has a great scene with Helka Mahomelka. He's like, stop eating my, se- please have some sesame cake. And no one eats it. And he's like, have some. And, you know, Monroe Kelly and Karen Ross don't blink. But Halkama starts eating it. He's like, what are you doing in my country, you piece of shit? <laughs> he's like, stop eating my sesame cake. And it's great lines. And he's like, General, please. I only wish to return the gorilla from whence she came. And, you know, he knows that Monroe Kelly knows. Everyone knows he's looking for the lost city of Zinge. That they say doesn't exist. That is a diamond mine and we'll all get rich. But, uh, you know, uh, Delroy Lindo says it's the gorilla that's going to get them across the border because no one wants to be seen on American TV hurting a gorilla. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's this great plane getting shot down and everyone diving out. And uh, Peter says he's not going to jump out. 
And he says, well, I, do you know how to fly a plane? Because the pilots are gone. And uh, then they begin their expedition. There's a cool hippo scene where the hippo attacks the rafts, you know, and they finally get to uh, the city of Zinj accidentally and trying to return Amy and the angry gray gorillas that they thought didn't exist that were bred by Solomon to protect his diamond mines are there and you know, they kill Richard, the assistant, and they kill Halkama. But then um, the volcano blows, and that's like a, that's a, not a thing that's going on, an underlying theme. Uh, this volcano might blow, you know, the ground is trembling. Volcano blows. Monroe, Peter, uh, and Karen get out. Amy finds what could possibly be her family of silverbacks, and they see another expedition's hot air balloon. Because earlier, he's, she says, I don't need a hot air balloon. So they mm -hmm. don't have one, but they find the other expeditions. They get out in a hot air balloon, but you don't really know what happens. They're just the three of them are flying off in the hot air balloon in the movie. Great soundtrack, although it got nominated for a Razzie for the soundtrack, original song. Yeah. Hmm. Also got a lot of Razzies, but fuck the Razzies. Congo's a good movie. Yeah. And off a $50 million budget, it made $152 million. God damn. Yeah. It's surprising it only got that. You'd think that they would up their budget beyond even what Jurassic Park got because people the, just they start pumping more money into yeah, it. They didn't need CGI. True. So. That that took it down. Well, I I honestly think that you're better off even even though you might see it and look like oh there's a guy in a suit, a guy in a suit in 1996 is gonna definitely look better than a poorly CGI'd gorilla because you're gonna you're gonna hit that uncanny valley. Right. In 96 well, also Jurassic Park had 14 total minutes of dinosaur footage completely in it. True. This had you this Amy's in the movie. She's a a big part of the movie. Mm -hmm. So you would need you would you know it would have cost in the in the hundreds of millions of dollars to make yeah. this had you done that and from what i believe this is michael Crichton's favorite adaptation of his work interesting mm -hmm. i would have loved to see jurassic park as a miniseries like the legit take yeah, the, no like the novelization take the novel and go mm -hmm. that's that's like a dream of mine if i ever make it in industry and i could get the rights to it and I, just to do to do congo maybe to do timeline properly to do a couple other Crichton books as like each year it's a mini series, kind of like that what they do with um, American Horror Story, mm -hmm. but each year it's just another Crichton novel done right. <laughs> and uh, but you know, one could dream. Not saying that Jurassic Park needs it. No, not I mean, at all. The movie stands alone, stands alone as a great, the most important piece of <laughs> cinema of my childhood. Sure, uh, but there would be a, it would be a great take to see a mini series. Absolutely, of both I mean, Jurassic Park and the proper of the Lost World. Yes, where they actually followed. And in a miniseries, you can do. You don't have to cut characters. You can leave them all in. Mm -hmm. and you can have an entire episode where people are just yapping about science. Right. Because that's... I've seen... What's that show you guys make me watch? Well, not you, but The Enchantress, mainly. Nothing happens, and they do a lot of talking. Game of Thrones. <laughs> I tried to get you to watch it. It took for years. Well, Enchantress is lovely. Uh, I see where I stand. It has. It's fine. I mean, you're lovely too. You're a handsome boy. Ah, uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. Enchantress's powers. Well, the are thing is, you don't even like where it's going now, or I don't like where it's going, and but you're I liking do. it more. Yeah, I like. I would because it's I, finally I, things I, are happening. I, at a I, good I pace. miss. I miss my three episodes of Diatribes when it takes someone to go a couple miles because it was all in real time. Here's the difference between me and the rest of the moviegoers in the world, and not saying I have bad taste, but different taste. I saw The Dark Tower. I never read the books. I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Enchantress read the books. She was let down. She agreed that it, you know, was a good movie, but mm -hmm. it was not, you know, anything to do with the books. Sure. 
and the reviews were horribly harsh, but really? it was a good movie. There, it was you know there was a lot. It was a it was a, if you just go in for ninety minutes and shut your brain off, like it's an enjoyable th- you know mm. action thriller. Well, not everything can be Dune. <laughs> That's how I would do it. I just I couldn't help myself. <laughs> yes, you. Every could've. tedious, monotonous <laughs> yeah. detail, just torturing you. But I don't care because it's there. Oh boy. All right, well, that's it for my picks. Uh, do you want uh, to go? Oh, one more thing about the hippo scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know hippos kill 650,000 people every year. The Is most, that true? Hippos are the most dangerous animal in Africa. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That hippo scene, that makes it scarier now. Yeah. All right, moving on. Your next pick. I'm taking this bomb out of the headlines. I'm rubbing him out. Hey, Tracy, what's up? You take Tracy to me. I say we kill Tracy now. You challenge me, we all go down. Are she gonna arrest me? I want to know who killed Lips Manless. Not the bad, not the bad, big boy, not the bad. I know, and I'm gonna miss you. But all fan love and business. Whose side are you on? Side I'm always on. Dick Tracy. Yeah, but. I wouldn't say that it's a Dick Tracy movie. This is a villain movie. Which is one of the reasons I love this so much. I adore this movie. This is one of my favorite films of all time. This movie is one of those that inspired me to... I wanted to go into art direction for a while and set design before I realized you have to be talented to do that. Um, Because it's just a gorgeous movie. I mean, it's like it's torn from the comic strip, right? Um, the use of a limited color palette and the use of matte paintings. Yeah, they it, only use the colors from the comic. Yeah, it, it's just there's something special about it, and it looks so different. In fact, they were worried that it wouldn't be appealing enough at the time too, because it was almost too, too much. It's an art. It's like an art house film. Yeah. Um, and then just the use of prosthetics. Which it won. It won uh, Oscars for um, art direction, won Oscars for makeup, and won an Oscar for uh, original song sooner or later. Uh, this movie was a... Well, I wouldn't say branch out. This was... I talked about how Kevin Costner had a, uh, was in love with his movie, and it was his pet project. Warren Beatty's been wanting to do a Dick Tracy movie since the mid-'70s. Thank goodness someone let him. Yeah, and it got passed around, you know, all those big names, uh, Cameron Spielberg, like, of course, everyone, even if it's not taken seriously, like, their name just comes up in conversation. Eventually, it falls to Warren Beatty to uh, direct this film and the star in it, and they were also concerned, is he too old to play Dick Tracy? I don't think so. It's He plays it perfectly, I thought. As far as playing it perfectly... Uh, a few other actors are in this. Uh, Al Pacino, uh, Charles Durning, Dustin Hoffman, William Forsyth, who plays Flat Top. It's probably my favorite character in the movie. He's just fantastic. Uh, and Hedy, Paul Servino, and Dick Van Dyke, and Madonna, who worked for Scale. She made thirty-five grand. Well, I'm sure she made more on the back end. But thirty-five grand. she worked for Scale on this movie. She wanted this part badly. 
and then sang the five original songs written for it and was part of that Academy Award for Sooner or Later. And she was good. It's breathless. She, I thought she was great. And she also then performed uh, all the songs while she was on tour at that time and promoted the shit out of the movie. Like she promoted the hell out of it and did a whole, like, there was, like, a Dick Tracy thing on stage that she would do with it. But uh, Pacino, I think, just nailed it. Pacino as big boy is absolutely fantastic. He wanted the role, and he took it and ran with it and made it his own. He developed the character uh, even more. Uh, Dustin Hoffman playing Mumbles is just hilarious, and you don't even real recognize half of the, who these people are. James Caan is makeup. in this movie, yeah. and he plays opposite Pacino as one of the other crime bosses. And probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie, in, in the meeting scene, where big boys gathered all the other crime bosses from around the city to team up to take on the rest of the, the police force and the town that rather than compete with each other, they can work together with big boy being in charge, of course, and then not have to worry about Dick Tracy. Pacino will take care of it, or big boy will take care of Dick Tracy. James Caan wasn't fond of that and gets blown up uh, for his troubles. Hmm. And in that meeting, too, you have prune face in there, uh, every Dick Tracy character you can think of is in this movie. Even some guys that have a small part, like in the beginning, that get gunned down, that basically sets the movie off, like the tramp. Uh, he's in there. And then you also have, who was witnessed by The Kid, uh, played by Charlie Cosmo, uh, who was also in Hook. Now... After this, and after Hook, he wouldn't go on to act too much, and people think, well, that's a shame. Now, what happened to that kid? Well, his acting career didn't really pan out. Instead, he uh, received a uh, a physics degree, is it a degree? I don't know, uh, from uh, this little place called MIT, and then would go on to Yale Law School and graduate with a law degree there and then pass the bar in the state of New York, and then I get a presidential appointment from President Obama to some board of directors that oversees a charity that gives money to kids to make the world a better place. So yeah, I think he's doing all right. Yeah, I think he made right. a, I think he made a good decision. Yeah, he turned <laughs> he, uh, turned it around. He could he could have acted in a few more movies and made some money entertaining people, or he can go and actually make the world a better place. Hats off to Charlie Cosmo. Yeah, good um, for him. Uh, Jim Cash and Josh Epps Jr. of Top Gun fame yeah. uh, wrote uh, the majority in the initial script of this. A few tweaks by Beatty in there. Uh, even Kathy Bates had a little cameo. She was the stenographer. Hmm. Uh, at this point, she was mostly doing uh, daytime TV. She had a part here and there. A year from then, or actually probably by the time this was released, she was fi- filming Fried, Fried Green, Green Tomatoes, Tomatoes. Which made her my mom's just, favorite movie at the time. I had to watch that fucking... It's a good movie, but I had yeah, to watch it like it's 50 not, times. Yeah. Also, Wanda. And also uh, Bing Russell, who we spoke of, uh, who owned uh, a minor league baseball team in Portland, father of Kurt, Kurt. Russell. Uh, Big League re- Chew. Big League Chew. He had a role in Big League Chew... Uh, uh, had a bit part. He was in the uh, in the Ritz scene. Yeah. I absolutely uh, adore this movie. This movie, it, I think, linked us to our, our almost our fathers and grandfathers' generation because as as kids, 
they l- l- read the, the comic strips and saw the cartoon at the time. Wanted the wristwatch radio. Wanted mm-hmm. you know wanted to be Dick Tracy. This is a, essentially Batman. Yeah. It's instead of a mask, he wears a yellow jacket. Sure. And we um, had this movie in '91. We wanted the wristwatch. We wanted to be Dick Tracy. We loved the villains, and it was relatable. Uh, you know, it's why everyone bought the Apple Watch when it came out. Yeah. Dick Tracy. But yeah, I love this movie. And I, again, I had I, a lot of the cosplay toys, which we talked about in earlier mm-hmm. episodes. Uh, my brother, I, too. I had some of the action figures, which I will eventually be getting to. They were just fun sculpts. Yeah. They're playmates. Uh, yeah. There, uh, there's video on uh, Radier's Instagram of me cosplaying as a young, adorable, a nine-year-old boy as Dick Tracy, being embarrassed and then just saying, "Fuck it, I am Dick Tracy." But yeah, this is this this was a great this was a big summer blockbuster mm-hmm. in a year where in between two Batman movies, they really delivered on something to keep us going. I, I think what I realized is that all a lot of my picks, my favorite movies, aren't just they're all. All of them, they're, they're works of love and like they're big pet projects and have a ton of practical effects and work that goes into it. And I know something, even if I didn't know it at the time, I saw it. Jurassic Park, Dick Tracy, and like Blade Runners in there. Like All of our picks were, were these. That's, I mean, that's what makes them summer blockbusters, no matter if they flop or mm-hmm. they, there's a e- lot of even work. Even Prom Child 2 was made just to spite the critics. <laughs> like they made this movie, like, you know what? Just a big middle finger. Chipmunk Adventures took a bunch of uh, great animators and artists that were laid off from Disney because of Black Cauldron and turned spun it into gold. Mm-hmm. Roger Rabbit. Fuck. You can't make that movie and not be in love with it in the yeah, process. You break down walls and barriers and you, 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 you set the stage for Jurassic Park to happen. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Just another great prop film that they put a lot of effort and a lot of money and a lot of love into. Of course, True Lies, Cameron doesn't do a movie unless he's putting a lot of thought into it. Uh, Congo, again, now a little, a little thing I, I didn't left out of a Congo. Uh, Crichton tried to make it himself in the 80s with Sean Connery and a real gorilla, but gorillas were uh, protected then. They mm-hmm. could not get it. Interesting. And he never thought it'd get made. And Stephen King used up all the coke, so there wasn't any room for another author to direct a movie. Well, he, no, he did um, Westworld. That was back in the seventies. Oh, okay. But uh, uh New Westworld. <laughs> uh, so, and also, you know, Rocketeer, any Indiana Jones, Waterworld, mm-hmm. even, and this. Yeah, yeah this. these are all passion projects. Yeah, and that's it's weird how you think a passion project would be a small independent film, but mm-hmm. when you're making a blockbuster, there's a you know. Those guys right now making the Marvel movies fucking love making Kevin Feige and the cast yeah. love making these movies. And they're bringing in directors who love, you know, the work and, and it shows. I, I think we talk budget only because it's brought up in conversation a lot. And it's almost like use it to scale to see to see how well a movie does. I don't think that it it's not important to the conversation. No. But it's what makes a blockbuster. Sure. A blockbuster. It's what the summer is about. Mm-hmm. Big money movies. You know, and you got your indies. Fast food tie-ins. And your fast food tie-ins. You got your indies and your Oscar bait in the wind, fall and winter. In the summer, that's blockbuster territory. Your big popcorn movies. You drive up. Studios make their... It's like the Black Friday of the, of the movie studios <laughs> the, summer, the summer season. So that was, that was a good 
a labor of love for us getting this podcast I made. absolutely think so. Three taping sessions. Uh, two parts and a partridge in a pear tree. I can't wait to see you have to edit this all again. We got it done. Sorry it's a little late, but you know we're in the midst of a heavy work season for us. We're going to get another one to you ne- by the end of next weekend. And we'll get them. We're not taking another break. We're going to announce our big news soon. This should make up for that. The one set week, is here in my garage. Squeezer delivered it. Part of it. Got to finish the backdrops and it. the rest of the deck or we'll follow our deaths. Right. I'm moving uh, stuff around. And I'm going to get the oh, set Jesus. place. I thought you like no, when not, you just no, said no, you're no. not moving because I'm terrified to put that thing back in my truck again. No, no, no. Okay, it's staying thank here. God. I'm moving stuff around. We'll, we'll be gone the death soon. Expect within a month YouTube content launch i'm not drinking beer after 9 p.m to slender down you're adorable and handsome as as you are and miserable (laughs) but that's why you're so good on the show your misery is what fuels it misery loves company yeah well anyway that's all we have for this week's rad years podcast i'm rk i'm squeezer good night or morning or day everybody